they had this kind of an ethics conservation ethics ingrained in their life so they had unwritten rules that there'll be a ban on hunting of animals during breeding season so whenever there is a breeding season going on people avoid killing the uh, the animals or the fish also because that is a very important period when the progeny of that particular species is uh, born and is, gets established and that is important for conservation then avoid killing pregnant animals so if there is a herd of animals somewhere they deliberately avoided the pregnant ones avoid killing fawns that means the younger uh, animals that we must understand is that their hunting was for livelihood and not for pleasure which this pleasure part was introduced by us the civilized world and how it was introduced we'll come to uh, that in totality you must say that uh, they tried to keep the resource base enough for sustaining the not only the resource base but also their own livelihood system so our laws did not differentiate between hunting for livelihood and hunting for pleasure second thing what was thing thought was that we just close the area and things will improve that is the best management option that is not the best management tool there we have heard then even technologies the knowledge base indigenous knowledge all those things took a back seat it's a very uh, different kind of a topic and uh, i being a forester uh, i have been quite uh, quite a lot associated with the tribals uh, tribal areas and also forest areas if you uh, superimpose the map of uh, tribal population and the forest areas you will find that they almost uh, superlap uh, overlap so from that point of view we have been interacting with uh, so many tribes out of them this is a tribe which i found very uh, interesting but uh, having a very sad kind of a story and so i'll be basically telling you a story in uh, two three formats so far as the parties are concerned uh, one is uh, uh, their a bit of their anthropological part then their occupational part and uh, then how they were uh, forced to become almost uh, ecological refugees because of the fact that we over exploited the resource base on which their livelihood was dependent and that was done by us the civilized society so to say uh, pardis uh, they have a very interesting kind of uh, origin so to say because uh, different anthropologists and other uh, social science people they have studied them uh, and the pardis also have their own story to tell about their origin and uh, they many of them say that it since the parad is a sanskrit word and it means hunting so they say that traditionally uh, it has been uh, given uh, 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 as a variant of parad the those who practice parad is pardi and uh, they are found uh, they were found primarily in the state of maharashtra and madhya pradesh but gradually you will find that uh, they are found uh, 
all over India, you know, because their primary occupation uh, and occupational base has been disturbed and they have been wanderers basically. They have uh, not been having a particular village or something which uh, many of the tribes have. So, and uh, some of them, they say that uh, they are the descendants of Pardi Mahadev, Jinone ki uh, Arjuna uh, ko challenge kiya tha in hunting. So they also associate themselves with Pardi Mahadev. Uh, some studies have shown that they are uh, an um, out uh, sort of flow from uh, Rana Rajputs. And these were the, those people who had uh, sort of uh, not sided with uh, Marana Pratap and went and sided with Akbar. And after that, they were actually um, hunted out from that area and they moved, fled from Rajasthan to Gujarat and then to Maharashtra and Madhya Pradesh, all these areas. So that is how they initially spread. Uh, some studies also show that uh, they, they have originated from mixing of Rajputs with Bavari uh, people who are outcasts and social derelicts, basically. And uh, some police studies, they have uh, shown them to be originating from uh, a tribe called Bauria tribe, which is considered as one of the main criminal tribes uh, of, in the list of uh, British uh, documents. There have been good studies by uh, Maharashtra uh, scholars uh, in the Gyan Kosh also it is mentioned then uh, Bharatiya Sanskriti Gyan Kosh by Joshi Saab and Maharashtra Vishwakosh by uh, uh, Lakshman Shastri Joshi Ji. So there has, they have been a subject of study but the study from the point of view of their occupational uh, situation and the degradation and their movement towards uh, becoming almost uh, uh, sort of uh, very poor people without any resources and wandering from here and there, uh, so to say, ecological refugees. That kind of a study uh, was not done earlier. I tried to see it from this point of view. So, uh, and they are often in news, you might have read they are also associated with crimes. In fact, the police department, uh, whenever there is a crime in those areas where Pardis are there, they will first go and catch the Pardi guy and declare in the newspaper next day that the criminals are caught. So that also is a strategy with the, the enforcement people, you know. Uh, that's an unfortunate, another unfortunate part of it. And it has a tradition which I'll um, further narrate. This is a very interesting thing that uh, the Pardi, it was a group earlier, but with time and with areas that they came to, they specialized in, into various kinds of occupation. And therefore, these Pardis became 11 types of Pardis, in fact. And that is dependent on the occupational characteristic of these Pardis. Uh, most commonly uh, known are Phase Pardis, uh, who hunt with snares and traps, then Shikari or Bhil Pardi. Bhil Pardis use firearms. Then Langoti Pardi is there, who's actually uh, said to be engaged in decoity or burglary. And they wear just the loincloth so that they are not easily caught, you know. So that's a strategy. Then Cheetah Pardi or Cheetah Wale uh, Pardi, who used to tame leopards 
cheetahs rather or leopards also are called in some of these documents and hunted uh, the deer and other small animals then haran pardi who used to uh, hunt using antelopes and deers deer and they used to send these antelopes and deer into the herds and then gradually they used to uh, sort of catch those uh, animals then bahelia is basically for uh, those who hunt birds and there is a variety of this called karijat and they are found mostly in uh, chatisgarh madhya pradesh areas and they kill birds only of black color that is something very special about them then gosai pardi is there in madhya pradesh they will not kill deer but will would uh, kill foxes hares jackals uh, traditionally yes then there is another takankar pardi whom you might have seen on the road side you know they are roughening the household grinding mills and uh, the police records say that they have strong criminal tendencies just like lamoti pardis i mean that is what is uh, the police uh, departments police studies view then uh, there are gaike pardis they stalk their prey behind bullocks and hunt then there are bandarwales they were they exhibit monkeys performance and then even from medicinal medicinal point of view you can say traditional medicinal point of view the oil and other things that come out of the animals you know they, they are being used by these people and they are also called shishike telwale or telvechnya pardis so ashar prakar se akra prakar se pardis aaye sadhya on record the population till 2001 you will find that uh, the recorded population was only 30000 and they were found of here and there in small groups small uh, sort of hamlets and that also used to be shifting later on what happened is that the census records that is uh, that adopts a particular classification called classification 3 and therein all these parties got included as a group of along with the group of people who were related to livestock forestry hunting plantations allied activities etc so as of now very clear determination of exact number of these 11 parties types of parties is not really available that's unfortunate now the aspect of criminality that was uh, associated with pardi this is a very interesting uh, story but a very unfortunate one you see in uh, 90 and in, in 1871 uh, uh, and prior to 1871 actually in 1856 there was a circular which said that certain tribes were declared as criminal tribes and they were most of the uh, cases were where they were fighting the british and therefore they were branded as criminals later on a, an act came in 1871 and that accorded legal authority to the uh, actions that could be taken uh, through the 1856 circular so from circular it became an act which is actually uh leap uh, forward in terms of branding these people as criminal tribes then later in uh, 19 1893 uh, 
they have started getting uh, dealt with the regulation 26 which was again basically related to handling the criminal people and later on in 1897 uh, criminal tribes act was passed by the british uh, the police commission also studied their criminality uh, there was a study done and they said that uh, the results were quite varied from one province to another i mean different in different areas they behaved differently and uh, maybe depending depending on the social structure that was there or maybe dependent on the kind of occupation they had been into but uh, they also uh, said that uh, for improving these people they made a remark that too much had been left to the fortuitous uh, enthusiasm of individual officers there were individual officers who wanted that these criminal tribes so-called criminal tribes should be brought out of that uh, branding and they should be developed but uh, the government was not that happy with the many of uh, such actions and they wanted to curtail the authority of the individual officer to take initiatives etc et that was british government in 1991 uh, there was a police commission report and it uh, basically suggested uh, three main things one was that there must be strict and effective control over the worst tribes these were the worst tribes for them and then uh, individuals who behaved who uh, exhibited good conduct were exempted and education was to be provided to the, the children this was 1911 and but all these got further consolidated in the central act of 1924 so you see that uh, these people were handled by the police uh, department or from the police angle as a criminal uh, group of people and this 1924 was a very strong act in fact it authorized provincial governments to declare tribal or any class of person to be a criminal tribe so you can just imagine when uh, india was uh, under the british and obviously anybody talking against the british government was supposed to be a, a criminal guy and those people must be uh, strongly uh, against the kind of dominance of these uh, british uh, people and must be exploited also by the british people because these were available uh, in plenty in many areas they were because they were moving around and they were also helping these uh, uh, these uh, uh, british people british officers in hunting now the member of the tribes had to register themselves that was another point they were uh, asked to give uh, their fingerprints and they had to notify the place of residence the provincial government however there was some angle to it which was which we could say that yes there was an attempt to improve their situation so they could establish industrial agricultural settlements or reformatory settlements also and the provincial government uh, could uh, direct that the children of these uh, parties could be kept away from them for the purpose of education 
So, and uh, in case, uh, yes, this was also there that in case a member of this uh, tribal community uh, did some something wrong or uh, did some crime, then they were subjected to an enhanced punishment. So, Parthis gradually, you, you must have noticed that uh, they were gradually consolidated in terms of perception about them as a real criminal tribe. And this actually persists today also, unfortunately. Uh, although after independence, uh, we had the Criminal uh, Tribes Law Repeal Act in 1952, which denotified them. And then the fifth schedule of the constitution uh, started giving uh, started giving special specific uh, directions uh, under that was given to provide for administration and control of the scheduled areas and scheduled tribes, etc. But one thing that uh, really uh, took me by uh, shock, shock, but not surprise, in fact, because the ICS retired uh, officer, he writes that when after the denotification was done, he has written in his uh, book that it is perhaps unfortunate that false consideration of national prestige and a misinterpretation of the meaning of democracy led to the repeal of Criminal Tribes Act shortly after India became independent. You see the strong feeling that they had about such people being branded and considered as a criminal tribe, which is uh, uh, so unfortunate and that branding you know that branding has really done a lot of harm to them which we will uh, talk about in uh, uh, future slides now we let us come to their occupational part the first one part was how they were seen by the administration and the police and now how they saw and managed themselves, you know, in their day-to-day -day life, in their occupational uh, behavior. They had this kind of an ethics, conservation ethics ingrained in their life. So they had unwritten rules that there'll be a ban on hunting of animals during breeding season. Even fishing, you must be knowing that uh, during the month of Shravan and all people are advised not to uh, fish. So whenever there is a breeding season going on, people avoid killing the, uh, the animals or the fish also. Because that is a very important period when the, the progeny of that particular species is uh, born and gets established. And that is important for conservation. Then avoid killing pregnant animals. So if there is a herd of animals somewhere, they deliberately avoided the pregnant ones. Avoid killing fawns, that means the younger uh, animals. So they were very selective in catching the animals or killing the animals. So selective killing of animals was practiced by them. And obviously this was their occupation. This was food for them, not only for them, but for the whole uh, village folk, because they were, I must say, they were the suppliers of protein to the uh, village people. Similarly, they had the rule of having, uh, of uh, uh, catching or killing crocodiles for fat and oil 
so there were specific months that were pres prescribed and their basic thing you know uh, that we must understand is that their hunting was for livelihood and not for pleasure which this pleasure part was introduced by us the civilized world and how it was introduced we'll come to uh, that another discipline they had that they always hunted on foot and uh, therefore in totality you may say that uh, they tried to keep the resource base enough for sustaining the not only the resource base but also their own livelihood system and interestingly the wildlife related legislations that india started had components of this as a part of the sections as a part of the provisions except 6 and 7 and 8 which i have uh, mentioned here all others were a are a part were a part of the initial wildlife acts in our country and you will be happy to know that the bombay wildlife wild animals and wild bird protection act 1951 was the first of its kind in the country and there also specific issues related to hunting were mentioned to control hunting to have conservation you see the uh, anyway i'll come to that wildlife protection act later then in 1954 firstly regulations also were there in marathwada areas they also had control systems like this next step uh, india took was 1972 we start, we had the wildlife protection act now this was called the protection act but interestingly you will find that it had components of conservation in fact and conservation by fundamental uh, understanding you know the definition per se means not just protection uh, uh, not just protection but also consumption so conservation is protection plus consumption and now we have entered into sustainable uh, utilization level so gradually the concepts have been uh, uh, coming up like this then in 1991 the wildlife protection act was amended and there was a total ban on hunting of all wild animals so you see that initially we started with regulation then finally we banned all the wild animal uh, hunting and in 2003 we also started to put in some community and conservation reserves for conservation but they are not that focused on the wildlife in that area per se most of them are corridors between different protected areas that is the national parks and sanctuaries so this is the this is the uh, you can say the road that the wildlife related acts started in india but the fact remained that uh, the resources degraded over time the resources on which the pardis were dependent for their livelihood they degraded over time the mughals and zamindars they were also hunting in a big way you must have seen some of the old photographs where they are very proudly standing on the carcass of a tiger or a lion or an elephant 
with with their guns and showing that they have done a big job so that was the tradition that was the kind of uh, a valor uh, that was being said to be very uh, great that time uh, but uh, that also led to lot of degradation of the animals huge hunting processions were there khedas were there for and uh, for elephants even um, during akbar's time uh, uh, they say that cheetahs were uh, deployed for hunting and huge um, number of uh, animals were hunted by not people who hunted for livelihoods but by those people who hunted for pleasure and that kind of a transition has been the most unfortunate part in conservation history then uh, the government of india in the british times they started incentive schemes for killing the animals the population was growing and therefore they wanted all the forest areas to be uh, cut and converted into agriculture and all those things and there was uh, wherever there was a habitation uh, being developed or uh, set up there were incentive schemes started by british government for killing the animals that was another aspect of resource degradation this is just an example reward amounts you can just say that that time 1875 and odd full grown tiger if you had killed you get rupees 24 half grown 12 cubs 6 this imagine the kind of uh, change in or difference in the perception these pardis they said no the fawn should not be killed the younger uh, younger animals not should not be killed and here for killing the cubs they were being rewarded similarly for killing cheetahs leopards panthers bear full grown 12 half grown 6 rupees that time imagine the amount of uh, the value of rupees 6 then even cubs were of these if they were killed and brought before the uh, assistant collector so you know, that time they were paid rupees 3 full grown wolves were also when uh, one skilled in khandesh and ahmednagar they were given rupees 4 so apart from the fact that uh, there was huge pressure on the existing uh, wildlife or the resource base for the pardis these were some other areas where their resource base was very specifically and very in a planned way getting removed from the areas where they were uh, existing uh, later on you know uh, the rewards for tiger cheetah leopard panthers deer and full grown wolves in uh, ahmednagar and khandesh were abolished maybe some uh, good sense prevailed upon the concerned collector maybe that time in uh, 1990 1917 in ratnagiri and satara district uh, our own uh, maharashtra areas the snake killing was also recognized 
uh, occupation and rewards were paid for that. So for killing cobras or other species having a fang, they were paid two anas or six paisa. And imagine the impact of these, these killings, you know, if they are huge killings, the impact of these killings on the agriculture, on the wildlife diversity, that is immense. I'll just give an example of uh, frogs, you know. During uh, around uh, 19 and uh, 1990s, we were exporting frog legs from India. And is you in huge containers they used to go. For about three, four years, they con it continued as a huge profiting business for many people and government used to permit export of uh, frog legs. And biggest export was being done from Mumbai, uh, Mumbai port. The impact was that all the uh, areas having agricultural produce in the Western Ghats and uh, this part of Maharashtra, this side nearer to Mumbai, the production went down, agricultural production went down. That was a study done. And then it was found that because the frogs were removed from there, so the impact of insects and other uh, things were so much on the crop that the production had gone down. And then there was a ban on the export of frog legs. So we may think that, yes, it's a very small thing, you know, frogs we are catching only during one season and say, sending it and we are getting so much of money, good amount of foreign uh, uh, exchange we are earning. But the impacts are tremendous and the impacts are Unfortunately, not on the people who are so-called civilized and urban. It impacts the rural people. It impacts the really people who don't deserve that kind, that kind of a negative impact. That was just an example. And uh, therefore, and then uh, it's interesting to note that in the reward systems also, there were frauds at that time. So people used to uh, claim twice for the same snake, etc., etc. So there were circulars which said that uh, the captured snake should be cut into pieces in front of the officer. And uh, then the, uh, and similarly, I mean, you have to take the, maybe the ears of the animal before the collector or the additional collector to get your reward, all those things. So there was a control system also in the reward system, but a reward was there. Now in the first act that we had, what we did was that there were certain hunting methods we were, which were declared as unlawful. One was using wheeled or mechanically propelled vehicle, using motor car, etc. for hunting or stampeding. Then hunting with nets, uh, snares, pitfalls, etc., etc. There were number of uh, types of uh, hunting uh, processes mentioned, and they were all made illegal. 
setting fire for hunting using artificial light earlier those who are of my age may be remembering that we used to go with spotlights in the night and move into the forest to see the animals now even that is banned you can't use the spotlight in the night at that time uh, spotting animal in the night was allowed but killing was not allowed then hunting during night hours was not allowed hunting on a salt lick or water hole was not allowed you see salt licks are the uh, places where uh, the government puts salt uh, there are certain places where salt is put so as to um, uh, uh, let the animals sort of uh, meet the requirement of the salts you know and uh, they actually they have they very they are very happy with the salt lick and it also becomes a very good place for sighting the animals and water hole of course hunting on land in private ownership was also not permitted without consent of the owner and there were close times that they were declared that during this this will be a closed time when there will be no hunting in the forest so these were the regulations uh, brought in and the license raj came in with this the shikar required a license and once the license raj came in obviously it favored vips government servants and those people who would go to the office of the deputy conservator of forest or dfo that time or the conservator of forest and get and get a license and here this pardi nobody can even imagine that one pardi could have been so uh, bold that he would go to to a particular office government office and ask for a license and get it so you see the license raj also had its own impact on the uh, pardis so far as their livelihood was concerned since they could not get the license they didn't have the wherewithal to uh, have the license and therefore whatever they did most of the time was seen as illegal by the forest department and they were caught now the wildlife protection act 72 it uh, as i told you that its name is protection but it was actually conservation had it been very uh, strictly implemented implementation is a big question mark in most of the acts in our country unfortunately so this act basically uh, distributed the wild animals into different schedules and applied controls for those scheduled animals and the names of the schedule the headings of the schedule that time were special game big game small game vermin special game were those like tigers etc etc but they were schedule one protected species also which were which could be hunted but but with permissions of course and we'll come to that then the uh, provision for granting license was of course there now wildlife as a game you know seeing it as a game uh, there are people who say that uh, this is exploitative name but uh, 
in natural resources uh, arena you have to use it or lose it that is one very basic concept because ultimately we are also as human beings the whole society the whole economy it goes by uh, the the thinking that it should earn something for the society or for the economy or for the country and therefore you have to use a particular resource and if you don't use it you lose it here what we did was that yes in the big game special game etc etc since there were provisions control systems were there i mean in whatever way it was implemented that is another question but there was a possibility of taking out the resource from that area and allowing the new uh, sort of populations to grow and there could be management uh, processes uh, that could be deployed there so that was in 1972 the basic thing that we will also remove the uh, uh, wildlife from there and also allow it to regenerate protect but in 1991 we made an amendment and all the hunting was banned so this in one stroke basically criminalized the occupation of the pardis straight away exceptions were there even still it is there and they say that only when wildlife is dangerous to human life or is disabled or disease beyond recovery or it is required for education scientific research or management purposes then only it can be allowed to be hunted not otherwise and the word hunting is very interesting in this act we normally think that hunting means killing but even disturbing the egg of a bird in a nest is also hunting disturbing the nest is hunting following an animal a wildlife yeah wild wild animal to with an intent to kill is also hunting you might not have finally hunted it when it killed it but that was so hunting is a very broad concept and broad definition uh, that has been uh, put in the wildlife act and the 1991 amendment obviously removed the terminology game because game meant some removal of the material and it had some value kind of a thing in terms of economy also so it was banned and the exceptions one exception was there that the scheduled tribes of andamans and nicobar islands they were their hunting rights were recognized under this act that is the only exception under this wildlife act otherwise all hunting is banned all over all over india for all persons so right to livelihood of pardis got eclipsed obviously and it was put subordinate to the non conjunctive use of wildlife and natural resources by the society non conjunctive use is you go and see the wildlife enjoy the area enjoy the uh, uh, ecosystems uh, services and all those things so they are non conjunctive uses also wildlife so this is the uh, road on which the indian act the wildlife act 
traversed and ultimately you will see that with our own intervention as a civilized society we put in certain prescriptions certain regulations which favored the people who could go and hunt and britishers or maybe even the later on the forest officers and the other government servants they never got down from the uh, jeep and hunted obviously not or otherwise they would come down kill and immediately come on the jeep again so so the basic purpose of uh, the uh, act to conserve the wildlife could not really uh, help the uh, pardis rather the license raj the um, sort of uh, up, uh, the 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 rights of these people they got uh, really uh, crushed so to say but uh, along with this what happened was that since the hunting was totally banned now hunting is not an easy job if you are if you are not moving with a gun or a or a rifle hunting an animal is not an easy job it's very difficult and these pardis used to hunt imagine without any guns and other things so what they had in their knowledge was wild animal behavior seasons of breeding these were the knowledge base of the pardis then rearing of captured animals most of the pardis you know they would not kill the animal and bring home they will capture the animal and bring home it's because immediately they may not get the market and therefore they would come bring and capture the animal keep at home and then later on use it or sell it so rearing of captured animals how to do it is also an art then knowledge about wildlife habitats ethics of hunting trapping techniques and trapped animal handling method handling methods these were the very special knowledge that the pardis had and once you remove this hunting itself from the sphere of uh, management then obviously then obviously you will uh, you will find that the technology vanishes because you are not using it and that is happening with this indigenous knowledge of pardis also because that is not being practiced at all and therefore nowadays you will find that if there is a tiger problem somewhere first thing people say oh kill it if there is a, uh, a raid of uh, blue bulls uh, rohis we call it now in maharashtra the first thing people say you just kill it so capturing keeping it and later on releasing it as a system of management that is suffering because the basic knowledge behind all this has suffered and is suffering so imagine the kind of loss in terms of indigenous knowledge that is also happening because of all this another traditional competencies list that these uh, people can be i must say credited with is the personal or group qualities of bravery it's not easy to go and catch a, or kill a tiger 
when you are on foot or any animal for that matter. Stealth, how to really dodge the smartness of the animal. Planning for hunting. Hunting is, you just can't go and uh, hunt and come back. No. Even for birds, the kind of planning that they are doing, say using the uh, various animals, gaikis for example, they, they were using cows, deer, they were using deer for catching deer. Then grit, go into the forest and try to walk into the forest. Every corner you will feel that maybe here the tiger will jump on me or something will happen or a snake will uh, appear. All this, how to know, how to understand, how to read the uh, noise or of the jungle, all that is has been there for day. Then perseverance, full day they would go and try to uh, kill an animal or catch an animal and they may not get anything. But no, they will not just uh, leave and come and have a bottle of local beer. No. Perseverance is a very important characteristic. Then tact, knowledge of hunting tools. Hunting tools, making of hunting tools itself is not easy. And then handling it for perf with perfection. These are some very, very interesting uh, knowledge um, spheres, which are all going because the relation between the Padis and the traditional uh, basic resource base that is cut. Then skill of attracting game by making false calls, birds, animals. They will make false calls and attract the birds, animals. These are very interesting things. You might have heard about the uh, the, the people from Belgaum who go to Delhi to catch monkeys. Uh, uh, from various ministries, as if there are not many monkeys, otherwise also there, but uh, the monkeys, the real Jangalwala monkeys, they have a big uh, sort of dominance there. And uh, there was a beautiful film also made on that, uh, uh, how to catch monkeys from Mantralaya or the various ministerial offices in Delhi. So these are the traditional competencies that the Pardis had. They also had competency of hunting for medicine and food. So knowledge about this also is there. So you can see this all ban has a simultaneous effect on so many things, including a permanent loss of indigenous knowledge and uh, skills. So let me uh, trace the life of Pardi now in short. You see, initially, wildlife was in plenty. Pardi is where I showed to you that even till 2001, there were only 30,000 and odd. And the skills developed over time, very specific skills with reference to very specific resource base. And they became 11 types of Pardis. So they diversified into occupational categories. During Mughal period, Hindu kings, etc., they supported these people, helped these people because of their own specialization. 
and through that their specialization also became firm and concretized during british raj there was a depletion of resource base because of all the kinds of interventions that we thought was good for us the pardis could not operate the license raj uh, system then after 1972 with the vips and hunters and office government officials who hunted for pleasure who were well connected and equipped with modern weapons etc etc they also removed lot of resource resource from the field and the pardis were marginalized and finally in 1991 their livelihood itself got criminalized so from a criminal kind of impression to another criminal kind of impression today also they they have been given some uh, areas for cultivation in some places like jalgaon and other places but unfortunately they are not used to that it's not easy to go for agriculture also as a new uh, sort of occupation so they are moving here and there and you might find on on a red light uh, chowk somewhere somebody selling tidbits and all those things ask them and they will tell you i'm a, i'm a pardi so this is the situation that we have brought these expert hunters you we, we should not say hunters is a bad name but expert con conservationists in fact to a situation where they have become ecological uh, ecologically um, unfortunately totally devastated and it happened because the laws our laws did not differentiate between hunting for livelihood and hunting for pleasure second thing what was thing thought was that we just close the area and things will improve that is the best management option that is not the best management tool there we have heard then even technologies the knowledge base indigenous knowledge all those things took a back seat over time so i have some suggestions to make in the book also i have made suggestions that we should bring them back into resource management scene in most of the pas protected areas in the national parks in handling the wild animals in making the local people villagers and the government talk to each other on these issues today you see in last 20 years you will find a big difference in the sense that the villagers earlier they used to treat these animals the wild animals also as their part of their life like here in in the cities somebody gets crushed by a car we don't say that you remove all the cars from this area because it's it's a part of hazard so they also had this thing as a part of their life as a part of some hazard that yes some day a tiger will come and eat their uh, say cow or bull but over time what has happened is that they have been made to feel that it is government's tiger it is government's leopard it is government's elephant so they will say saab apna aap dekho kya karna 
This is not our botheration. So this change in mindset has come in because people like Pardis, they have stopped uh, the talk between, they have stopped to intervene between the local people and the government, in fact, or the managers. So this is one very important thing that can come in. We, and then we create a, a resource base, document their methods, techniques, etc. Provide compensation for the indigenous knowledge. We talk of IPR everywhere, intellectual property rights. Make them partners in management and then return the returns of the resources to the community, these communities, which I feel are very, very important from the point of conservation. Thank you. I just wanted to mention, you know, uh, sir mentioned about the rohis, and I remember I came from Bulda I come from Buldhana, district of Maharashtra. So here you have the tribe called Fase Pardi. Uh, yeah. yeah, so which is the one of the most discriminated tribes among the Pardis, I guess, right? So. So uh, I remember my grandfather used to tell me that whenever in the, uh, you know, in the villages, whenever the Rohis used to rush down uh, to, you know, farmlands and they were, you know, huge animals, they used to rush down in groups. And then uh, they used to call Fase Pardis to, you know, control them and yeah. uh, to, uh, you know, uh, so th this was the, uh, uh, this was the method earlier but nowadays whenever such things happen you know either uh, they are uh, you know uh, the uh, farms are destroyed uh, by them or you know you, you just don't find the animals anymore so uh, these are the two conditions now second thing i want to ask you is so uh, you know the fase parties here uh, in Bulhana, whenever anything you know any robbery happens or uh, any criminal act happens the first uh, you know the first community to whom the uh, you know the people uh, they say that uh, there must be some parties over here so uh, th that is the reason why this happened so uh, is there a, uh, you know can we do anything to that like uh, they don't have any occupation because uh, after the uh, you know amendment of 1991 uh, the uh, you know like uh, the animal hunting was completely banned and they don't have any agricultural land uh, for that matter so what exactly would they do either they would do robbery or they would beg somewhere so uh, are there any, uh, you know, measures take, uh, taken to, uh, you know, in, in, uh, improve their conditions? Yeah, I would, you see, as the first step, I would suggest that, you know, even from within the parties also, there are now people who are into different kinds of jobs or they have shifted to different kinds of occupations. But most of the parties who have the traditional knowledge of all these kinds of things, they should be associated with the protected areas. They should be associated with the forest department, the wildlife department proactively. Because otherwise, normally what we think that, yes, if there is a hunting, yes, it's a fact also that there are cases where the, they have uh, worked as the uh, agents of some uh, big poacher, etc. There are people like that. But why that happens is the issue to be asked here. If they are with on our side, Obviously, they are the best informers. They will tell us the first 
uh, on the first day that yes sir this fellow had called me and he wants to come here to uh, kill some animal etc etc so we have to bring them to our side and bringing to the, them to our side is as i told you we must make them a partner in the management we must give them a proper uh, sort of uh, justice and the honor for their knowledge that they have and not that even in uh, amravati road you know amravati paratwala road you will find there are hamlets there also that was the main complaint by the people was this only sir kahi chori hoti hai they come kuthe paad diya hai ka tenas dara sahib tejasthil so this is the bias that governs the uh, uh, government officers mind that also is a very important thing to do we must tell them that what their worth are worth is and how we can utilize their uh knowledge their skills their competencies so there has to be a very uh, specific program like this build up yes uh, i just wanted to ask one more thing uh, yeah. that uh, you know uh, the padis have very uh, special techniques of making liquors as well so uh, you know some make it from the cashews or uh, from the you know uh, whatever uh, uh, plants or medicinal plants or say whatever plants are found in the forest so can we uh, use uh, this to you know improve their condition or create and sort of industry through this you see there was a plan about 10 years back to use mahua mahua is a uh, flower you know उसका बहुत बढ़िया ड्रिंक बनता है लोकल लोकली दे मेक इट बट एज ए गवर्नमेंट स्पॉन्सर्ड प्रोग्राम इट वॉज शॉर्ट डाउन बेसिकली दे सेट दैट नो नो फ्रॉम गवर्नमेंट साइड वी शुड नॉट प्रमोट मेकिंग दारू फ्रॉम महुआ बिकॉज अदरवाइज महुआ हैज सो मेनी अदर यूजेज ऑल्सो इफ यू गो टू दी ट्राइबल कम्युनिटीज यू सी दे ईट महुआ ड्यूरिंग द टाइम वेन दे डोंट हैव मच ऑफ फूड और during this up to her the connectivities have gone up but when earlier when the roads were cut cut and uh, there was floods etc that time people used to survive on these uh, mahua and other things only you see you will never find a case where a tribal fellow living inside the forest deep inside the forest has committed suicide no agriculturists have and that is because their local knowledge about the food from the forest the how to survive on the forestry species all those things it's a i mean a great amount of knowledge that is not being really utilized by us so there are so many other things from mahua itself nowadays they are making mahua candy mahua ka ek syrup all those things they are being sold now from garchiruli area from gondia area there are shgs self help groups they are doing it so it has to be gradually brought into a proper marketing forum aajkal kya dabbe ka shakal se log saman kharidte hain so but they have the material ka quality so this we have to gradually bring there also that we should have a marketing uh, linkage or maybe interface so a very concert, concerted effort on this uh, front is very much required and i appreciate your inputs on this 
Thank you. Uh, so just a follow up on this. Uh, uh, when uh, they're using all these products with Mahua, uh, could a GI patent uh, help in uh, help the community? Because I uh, have seen the uh, Mahua alcohol, which has been consumed uh, by urbanists. And it was an urban guy, uh, entrepreneur who was doing it. Uh, so there was no GI patent, which perhaps could have uh, prevented him from doing it and could have uh, promoted the uh, local Pardi people uh, into uh, having a livelihood. True. Yeah, I agree with you. In fact, intellectual property rights, there is a new act that has come in Forest Rights Act. There is a Forest Rights Act, although but some of the very bright parts of the Forest Right Act is the uh, uh, the intellectual property rights being recognized in favor of the tribals. So that has to come forward. Unfortunately, everybody is thinking Forest Rights Act means Jamin de do Kheti Kheti to So and with such poor uh, area, with such tough, tough area, bahut badhiya area hota na, to British usko already usko agriculture mein convert kiya hota. So whatever area that is being given to them is hardly anything for their life, the tribals. These things that we are talking about or you have just now said, intellectual property ka, uh, even biodiversity act also provides for lot of uh, returns to the community because of conserving that area for a particular medicinal plant resource. If that is operationalized properly, that will create wonders for these people. You know. Avinji, Namaste. Thank you so much for the talk. Um, unfortunately, like most Indians, I learned about Karbi people when I was planning a trip to Panna National Park. And I got to know about this program, which is, uh, I believe, Walk with the Paradi or the Day with the Paradi, something like this. Mm -hmm. And got to know that, you know, with them, you can actually spend a day, get to know the flora, the fauna about the place. So there are some initiatives which are in place. But then if I look at the government, I think they have just given them an ST or an OBC category and done with it. So uh, are there more, because more than just giving them ST, ST, ST or an OBC category, it is more about integrating them with the society where they face maximum issue. So what do you think would be the... Uh, is that the society is supposed to so that would be question number one mm. um two while i was reading about Parvi, i also as when you learn about uh, when you're reading about a tribe you often land at the joshua project page and you realize that they have done a good research on them to say that okay these are the people who while they practice uh you know hindu dharma they don't know that it is hindu dharma. so it's very easy to mislead these people so uh, would you have an idea about any work done by the organization to actually educate these people so that they don't fall into the trap um, of, of projects like Joshua Project? Actually, Pardis, uh, if you work on the Pardis from that particular point of view, I have not really come across. Even, uh, unfortunately, most of the studies that are there or most of the exposure that you have about Pardis it comes from the newspaper reports and which would newspaper would catch those um, elements which make news 
and uh, therefore they would most of the times blame the parties or okay this is this has happened and that has happened but for doing this to bring in them into the uh, fold of so called development world, developed world which i many times think that uh, they are in a better situation not not talking about the economic part of it but life wise you know uh, the only thing that the society can do is to <clears throat> nudge the government ultimately about the tribals there is a specific tribal development department i'll give you a bit of history about this about uh, 40 50 years back all these villages where you have tribals today they were all forest villages and that time the forest department and the uh, revenue department they used to take care of all the needs of these people even medicine uh, even hospitals etc were organized by the forest department people thought that forest department is trying to hegemonize everything and become the power center etc etc but the fact is that if you don't relate these tribes to the resource base on which they are dependent they can never be developed today the tribal departments funding is proportionate to the percentage of population it has in a state as per act so in maharashtra you have 11% approximately 11% of maharashtra's total budget dedicated to these uh, tribal people and what is done by that is some beneficiary scheme will be there where they'll be provided with some chulas or some pipe line or some something which really does not connect them to their Uh, their their uh, life that they have with nature, with the resource base around them. If you are on the sea coast, you will obviously like to train people in fishing, make them fish, fish <coughs> sorry fishermen, so that they have a connect with the resource base and develop. Here we have truncated the relation between the forest and wildlife and the tribes. by truncating the uh, departments we created a tribal dependent department so they say that this is um, my constituency forest department says uh, conservation minus men minus tribals is my constituency which can will which can and will never work now <clears throat> the problem of the tribal is not the problem of the tribal it is the problem of coordination between forest department and tribal department it is the problem of coordination between tribal forest and revenue department so by creating so many departments you know for handling the same person who has been a very simple person and related to the uh, area nearby in terms of resource management we have uh, really uh, created problems for them and that is the real bottleneck from that point of view i think the society should number one seek the government to have integrated programs 
wherein the relation between the forest wildlife and tribals that is highlighted and specified for the sustenance of both not only the tribals but also of the forest and the wildlife this is the need of the hour only then these people will uh, develop otherwise giving them 1000 rupees 2000 rupees 5000 rupees a year or month it's not going to really work because it's not sustainable it's doling so the the society should uh, come up with this kind of a thing because government will on its own will not come out with this kind of a situation because every department thinks ki bhai hum to raja hai and that is unfortunate but a, a real fact so i think this this uh, this society should create awareness on these lines so uh, there was this forest rights act that was passed in 2006 so what has it has it had any beneficial impact on this community or any other forest living community and secondly regarding the liquor why is it that the government objects to uh, mahua liquor when it is anyway selling liquor through authorized vents and so on indian made foreign liquor and so on these are my two questions the first question regarding forest rights act you see forest rights act came with a very good intention and it was basically recognition of forest rights on the forest land during implementation what has happened that those people and you will be uh, happy to know that the act defined the beneficiaries of this act very specifically and they are forest dwelling scheduled tribes and other traditional forest dwellers these are the two categories of people they are supposed to be benefited not a third person at all initially it was started with a very good intention implemented also but later on what happened the people who could manage the whole scenario they started coming in getting the rights illegally i can definitely vouch for it illegally because i have seen the papers i unfortunately fortunately i handled the forest conservation act uh, uh, implementation in the state of maharashtra as uh, commissioner tribal uh, research and training issue we instituted a satellite image based verification system to ensure that only those people who have had their uh, uh, self cultivation area before 2005 as per the condition of the act verify it and then give it that satellite system uh, has been removed from the operation uh, by the government rather the government of india by amending the rule has said that the satellite the, that the evidence based on satellite image will be at best a supportive evidence and not an independent evidence to say that somebody was or was not a real claimant true claimant under this act so once you allow this kind of a other people whether uh, any act uh, in any act if you allow such people to creep in 
the real beneficiaries of the people of the act they get affected and by that process lot of uh, uh, areas have been encroached it's a fact and with that kind of encroachment what is ultimately happening is it is again going to reduce the resource base of the people who are dependent on that including the pardis so that is a very big kind of a uh, impact and therefore first thing i will say that forest right act should be implemented sincerely and honestly by the government if that is done it would have done if that was done it would have been a great uh, sort of effect had a great effect on the uh, on these tribes one second thing is even one in community rights there have been problems where that those are being assured by people who are not really eligible so there are problems in forest rights act and therefore such people are not really going to get the benefit as regards mahua you see government is government is not against the mahua liquor as such there are people who are brewing in the villages and they are drinking i was talking about the mahua liquor being promoted by the government as a project that yes we will have a mahua liquor making sort of industry or something of that sort that was shut down at that time 